Welcome to Talking Good, where we explore different experiences, opinions, and questions related to philanthropy from those who work in the field. I'm your host, Britt Hotelling, and today it is my immense honor to say that I am joined by Jojo Nguyen. Jojo has worked in the nonprofit field in multiple different capacities, including as Director of Fund Development and Communications with SOS Children's Villages in Vietnam, a youth mentor with Y-Box Mentiology, and her current role as the Chief Executive Officer of the Management and Sustainable Development Institute, United Way Vietnam. Jojo, thank you so much for making some time to talk some good with me today. Yeah, hi, Brad, uh, and hi, everyone. Uh, I am pleasure today to join the Talking Good, uh, and I hope that I can share philanthropy in Vietnam for everyone Uh, And um, thank you. Let's start with what you do currently. Do you think it reflects what initially drew you into the field of philanthropy? Uh, Yes, because uh, right now I'm, uh, just introduce me, I am a chef executive officer in the MSD United Way Vietnam. And this is a non-profit social enterprise and we support disadvantaged children and youth and uh, less fortunate people in Vietnam. Awesome. And you guys do some really great work. I was checking out your site and, you know, I noticed a lot of your experience has to do with working with children. Is Was that a conscious choice? Yes. Long times ago, I think 10 years, 11 years, uh, when I have the first child. So I thought that, okay, I like, feel, and I want to help uh, children more. So how, how can I help it? Um, so one day I go to the uh, internet and I saw uh, SHR and Villages Vietnam have the job advertisement for the corporate fundraiser position. So then I think that I, I can apply. And in that time I applied and I joined non-profit sector. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, that has me wondering, I don't know about you, but my experience in fundraising has largely been very small organizations. So. Um, with with working with small organizations, it's often just me doing fundraising and working in development and communications. Has that also been your experience? And if not, do you have a specialty? Uh, actually, that because my role is all about communication and fundraising, and uh, I think that with the small organization is more about communication and fundraising also. With the bigger organization like SHR and Villages, so we have uh, many departments. Which department will inject each function? So, so I think that with the big organization, it will be uh, more about the organization uh, operation. Interesting and. In in Vietnam, a lot of times fundraisers and in some extent even communications, we have certain challenges becoming integrated with the rest of the organization. People don't really understand what we do. And I'm wondering, do you face similar challenges in Vietnam? Yes, with this with small organization, I think that uh the the difficulty in communication is because people they don't know us and and they mm. so they don't trust us so for example if if you say okay i'm from shr and villages mo- most people they know and they recognize what ss uh, children villages is doing so they they donate 
but with the smaller organization or with small organization or local organization people they will like doubt about that and you know because uh, the philanthropy in Vietnam is is not uh, familiar to many people uh, because in Vietnam most people they still think philanthropy is charity yeah <laughs> so So it's also a challenge for the fundraiser or communication person in a non-profit sector in Vietnam do their work. That's interesting. And so I wonder, another thing that we kind of face here is a very quick turnover rate for development directors. I think the average tenure is about 18 months. Has Is that similar there too? Mm, it's... Uh, how can I say? It's hard to compare because it depends on the organization size. So, for example, with the mm-hmm. big organization, I think that the turnover rate for development director position is much longer. But with small organization, it's so many challenges for her or him to do her or him work. So, I think that the turnover rate will be higher. So, I just give you the example so that you can understand. Like for example, in in Vietnam, with the small organization, the the turnover rate is very high for every position, not only development director, mm. but with the big organization, uh, it will be longer. For example, I work for SHL and Villages Vietnam for nine years, so yeah, so I have been in the uh, director position for uh six years. So you see, but yeah, but. We compare with the, my uh, peer in, in Vietnam. Most of them work around, I think, that one to three years in, in director position. Yeah. Wow. So what do you think would make philanthropy feel more accessible to the average person in Vietnam? You said a lot of time, you said a lot of people in Vietnam still kind of view philanthropy as charity. Mm-hmm. What do you think will will help change that perception? I think that we sh- first we should raise awareness about philanthropy in Vietnam, and second that the youth should talk more about that. And because you know, youth they change the world. Young people change the world. And second, the organization should let people understand your beautiful but long term work. It's not only just like one project we will finish for after one year or two years and that's it. We should we should let people know about okay, our project is long term project with the long impact, with the ray impact and it takes longer, like five years, ten years or even longer. For for example, SHL and villages Vietnam, we raise we nurture try in uh, at home and we will raise them until they like uh, can can be the independent in in the future until like for example a child just only one month and we nurture them until they are 22 years old so you see so you can support us for 22 uh, years it's not only one month or one year or two months or two years so this is how we uh, raise awareness about our work to the people in Vietnam. I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the sector as a whole in Vietnam as well, like the more the professionalized side and the organization side. 
I know that it's very different from in the States, and I'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit. Yeah, you mean that the profit sector and non-profit sector, right? Yes. Uh, yes, I have seven uh, years working in profit sector before working for non-profit sector. So I see the big gap between profit sector and non-profit sector. The first thing is, the I think that about compensation. You know, because with non-profit sector, we don't have much the budget for compensation. And and like the benefit, the well-being is not, we will not compare with the profit. So it's much challenge for non-profit sector. We can do to the good people. Good people, I mean that uh, they are the experts in their field or they have much experience or even when they work for us, they, they, there's lack of motivation to work for, for the organization compared with the non-profit sector. And you said a lot of that has to do with compensation. Mm. Yes. Fair enough. That's I think that's a that's a universal issue. <laughs> yeah, so many of my friends in Vietnam they always say oh, we cannot find the good people or even we can find people but they cannot stay long as long as we we want. It makes me wonder from a revenue side. Mm. What is the typical if there is a typical funding portfolio for a nonprofit in Vietnam is is it primarily individual giving or is it primarily, you know, grants, government contracts, foundations, things like that? It's more about the rent and corporate fundraising. Yeah, because like mm-hmm. I told you before that because people in Vietnam, they think philanthropy is charity. So they don't they don't understand about uh, monthly giving. They always ask why we have to give monthly. Uh, this time I have this money, this amount, so I give to your organization, and that's it. They see all what I what I have. So this kind of uh, talks lead to people they individ they lead to uh how can I say it will lead to the less individual giving. What kind of approaches do you have in getting people? to whatever extent, to learn more about monthly giving and things like that. Do you find that you use a donor-centric approach or a community-centric approach? Uh, actually, that we run campaign, campaign by campaign on social media or with the uh, event. Because at that time, we will have, we will uh, like recruit an ambassador. So the ambassador or the KOL will raise our message about the, our organization or the project that we want to communicate to the donor, prospective donors, or raise funds. So this is how we, we do in Vietnam. Because if we talk, keep talking about our work and our... So if we keep talking about our work, people may don't believe in us. So that's why we need someone to talk about us. That's a really interesting idea. And I think that that speaks to sort of the human condition, mm. right? So for some reason, no matter where you are, you know, and we're very suspicious of people that we think are trying to sell us something. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think what's so interesting is that it is such a hill that we have to climb pretty regularly. And I think there's these different approaches that, suggest using language that you know implies that external sources of funding are more like partners and you know in in addition to including you know 
feedback from beneficiaries, including feedback from donors and things like that. And I'm wondering what what's your opinion on all that? Uh, you mean that uh, the feedback about the donor, uh, about the our organization and project? Yeah. Uh, yes. So if the donor they make donation, they they trust us. They trust uh on what we are doing. So it's is less challenge for us to to keep the relationship with them. But we have the challenge is we have to follow our commitment with them. But like for example, with the rent or the corporate fundraising, it will be more challenge because it's a big amount and it is a long project for example one or two or three years and what you what you make at the beginning will be changed at the end right because one year two year three year things change many things have changed so we need to adapt to this new situation but when we get back to the donor is will be they ask a lot of questions and some donors they they don't agree on what we we trying to explain to them, and some donor they also ask for the refund also. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for example, you know, for example, with the COVID time, so we have the three yeah. years project on the field, uh, but you know because the COVID came and and then we try to explain to them that we ask for the extension for more two years. So they say, no, I want, I want you this birth, this money, this amount, uh, as well, what you committed. And, and we try to explain and we say that, no, because this, ha- this activity have, have to be happen on the field. And the COVID came and, and the, the government uh, didn't allow us to go to the field. So what to do? So they say that, no, so you have to refund the amount. Raise up the amount. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So, so, so many things happen very, like, very, uh, uh, strange time in the COVID time. So we have to explain again and again with the donor. Some donor, they, uh, empathize for that. They understand the situation and say, okay, I can give you more time and then you can finish the project as you committed. But some donors, they are very, uh, they <laughs> don't understand and they ask for the refund. Mm. Yeah. I think, and it's happened to many organizations, not only us. Oh, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> During COVID, with the shutdowns and, and stuff like that, and just everything that was going on, did you have, you know, a, a change in how many donations you got or how much interest there was in your nonprofit's work? I was working in human services and we had a huge influx of donations because people were so affected, um, at least initially by the COVID pandemic and they wanted to help in any way they could. Mm. Yes. I. So, you know, it, I think that it depends on the project that the organization is doing uh, and it depends on the context of the country. Like, for example, in the COVID time, uh, in in Vietnam, so the government they also raise fund for the vaccine, so and other other supports for uh, the people they they lack of uh, job and other things. So my, many people they focus on food supply, uh, food support, and vaccine. 
So at that time, like for example, with the organization, they focus on other things. It's typical for them to raise funds because most of people they just focus on how we can bring food to the less fortunate people and how we can get vaccine for everyone in Vietnam. So. Yeah, yeah, so this how they like the money will go to the vaccine support or food support, something like that. You know, it brings to mind something that I just I read recently. There was a report that came out that said in in the USA anyway, arts and humanities were of course really affected during COVID, and but they rebounded by I believe about twenty five percent by twenty twenty one, and I'm wondering, you know. Because it was similar here. Everyone was very focused on, you know, food support, human services, direct services, basic needs, stuff like that. How did the other subsectors in Vietnam fare throughout the pandemic to, to now? Have they rebounded as well? I think the other things that about the uh, education, because, uh, because the people or students, they have to go to school or university for, the, for study. But at that time, you know, many, many people and students, they don't have a laptop or they don't have a desktop to study at home. So so we have to raise funds for the laptop for people and students. We have to give them laptop, like equipment, technical tool to study. And with the laptop, we also have to get the internet for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So until now, I, I think that with the COVID time right now, it, it People, they come to the normal life and they adapt with the new situation. And it's also good for people because the student can be flexible on studying. Like, for example, before that, they don't know how to, they uh, don't know how to study when they don't go to school. But now they can go to e-learning and study or finish their exercise and something like that. That's really cool. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, the different facets of the field, right? You know, there's a couple of academics named uh, Robert Payton and Michael Moody describe the definition of philanthropy in their book, Understanding Philanthropy, as voluntary action for the public good. And after working in the field and experiencing all that you have, would you define philanthropy similarly? Mm, actually, that with uh, the voluntary uh Voluntary is just uh, one part of philanthropy, I think. Yeah. Because, um, like, you know, philanthropy, we need to raise funds, talk about that, and go to the field to support the people. And, um, or we can defy, uh, like, we can support people by talking about talking about the social issues. So there's many things on philanthropy, not just voluntary. Yeah, I I tend to land along the same lines. I think it's interesting that in some cases, the definition seems to spark more questions about what philanthropy is and what it isn't. And I always find that to be an interesting question to ask others in the field because everyone kind of lands differently Mm -hmm. on that. Yes. So another old adage that exists in many different times in many different ways is that we have to help ourselves first before we can help others. This manifests usually as, you know, not pouring from an empty cup is a really popular one. And something related that I've been reflecting on lately is that philanthropy starts at home. And so I'm wondering how and if 
that is something that rings true to you. And if so, how does that show up for you? Mm, yeah, I think that I I agree on 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 them <laughs> because I think that we need to if we want to help people, we need to survive first. It's meant that we have to be good first, and then we can give uh, support to others. And philanthropy starts at home, and I like this <laughs> because at home uh, I also teach our children to do philanthropy every day. For example, they can save the plastic, like the bottle, plastic bottle for people. Let, because in Vietnam, many women, every day they have to go out and buy plastic bottle like this. And then they can sell it and make money for the family. So so I ask my children every, uh, like Coke, you drink, you save the bottle for those women or, or every month if they every day if they do something good we you award them by the small amount and they can keep in the they can keep it and every month they can make the donation to the organization that they want it's like a monthly giving so this how i yeah how i i i, uh, I teach my children do philanthropy like this and yeah, I and I asked them to go to their class and talk to the teacher in the class about the project that my organization is doing so that they can raise funds for me, for for, uh, for my organization also. Wonderful. Get them started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I also talked to them, like, it, when you roll, uh, when you roll up, uh, uh, you can be uh, the fundraiser for the organization also. <laughs> that's amazing. You know, you're raising future leaders. And mm. um, I think that's that's a really, you know, interesting area to explore because I don't know about you, but I did not grow up in a philanthropic household. You know, we were we were taught the basics, but I didn't understand that philanthropy and fundraising was its own field until, you know, I had graduated college. Mm. And I'm wondering, was your was your uh, experience similar, or did you grow up in a philanthropic household? I grew up with uh, with half a family because my great grandmother also support people by collecting medicine for people. And long times ago, I think that fifty years ago, and and after that, my uh, grandmother grandfather and my uh, parents also support people on food or education and something like that. So I I uh, recognized philanthropy when I was was young, when I was born, I think. And even I got also work for the uh, church. So, so, so around me, people, they do philanthropy every day. Would you say that the church has heavily influenced your experience with philanthropy and charity and things like that as well? I well, I we go to the church every uh, every Sunday, so and every Sunday when we go to the church, we we uh, give small amount for the electricity, water, uh, the security and um, innovation innovation for the church also. So we know, we recognize the philanthropy or charities every time like this. And the father also talked about supporting people in a rural area or the ethnic people or something like this. So they, uh, the church also raised funds 
a lot. Like when you go to the truck in the gate, uh, some some woman or old elders people they stand on the gate and they ask for the supporting. So and then when you get into the church, the other people they also ask for the the donation. So something like this. So I think oh the church they do they raise fund very well. So that's why they have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's and so. They, That's and so you know nice. they put the donation box everywhere also. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And do you think that in Vietnamese culture, informal giving or you know very traditionally based giving, like to the church or community or you know gathering places like that, do you think that that's driving or you know kind of hindering interest in giving to more quote-unquote formalized organizations uh actually that i think that uh, we need to separate uh, this generation with the old generation like my grandma uh, parents or parents they like to give to the church more because i think that they grow up with that They roll up with the charity like that, but with the young generation like us, like me, uh, my children, I think that they will like to give to the organization, because uh, because the the mindset now had they have changed. They believe on the organization more because they know how the organization use them their donation to whom and what is the project going on, and they get email or the text. To confirm that, okay, the organization received their donation, and they also send a report on what they are doing. But with the church or 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 the uh like uh, the church or in the pagoda, they don't do that. So, but you know that with the young old generation, they like to give to the church because they think that okay, the God will pay me back. <laughs> After I give a donation, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> What do you make of that logic? I I think I've heard mm. that a few times, and I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons for giving, and some research has indicated that one of the mechanisms that drive people to give is rooted in selfishness. Mm. Which I find interesting because we we try very hard to separate philanthropy and self interest. I think I think that because it's you see the belief of every of each everyone. So it, like for example, my parents or parent in laws they believe on God. So, so what whatever they call uh, what whenever the church they call donation. So my parents in law or my parents always give donation, even the big donation. So I just wonder. I always talk to them like, so why you give the big donation to the uh to the church? Why or you don't give to the organization or the project? They really need your amount. So they say, I don't know them. I don't believe on what they're doing, but I believe in God. So I believe in God, so that's why I give to the church. But I, 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 one day I uh, have a hard discussion with my parent-in-laws about that. So I say, no, but the the, the God is somewhere, not not in the church. You know, the church is driven by people in the church, not not God. So then my parent-in-law yeah. like a little bit angry with me. 
They say, no, the God's inside us, the God in the child, you know, you don't believe in God, right? So I say, no, 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 it's not about the God. I'm talking about how you give to the organization or the church. So what they mean that because you give to the church and then other people, they use the money, not, not a God, you know. So they say, no, I believe in God, so I give to the church. And, and that's it. So then I say, okay. <laughs> okay. So I think that I, I recognize that, you know, with the young, old uh, people, they, they donate based on what they believe. It's not, about, it's not about the philosophy or the logical thinking. So they just think, okay, I believe in God and then I give to the church. And that's it. That, thank you so much for sharing that with me. That's really, you know, this has been a great conversation. And when someone listens to this episode of the podcast, what do you want to be their main takeaway? I want them to like reconnect about the philosophy and charity, charity, how is it, uh, how is difference and people can understand more about the philosophy and willing to give, willing to give to the organization to support them so that they can help more people. What current projects are you working on or hope to work on? And how can our listeners connect with you? You can connect with me via LinkedIn. Uh, I am quite active on LinkedIn. And uh, currently I'm working on the project with uh, Teach for Vietnam. You know Teach for Vietnam? Our project is about the support people and students in rural areas to get the equal equality education in Vietnam. That's really awesome. So thank you so much for being on the show, Jojo. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you, Britt. I hope that I uh, I can contribute into your podcast and people can recognize the philanthropy in Vietnam and love to chat with you. <laughs> Well, everyone, that's it for this episode of Talking Good. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and give us a five-star rating. I'm Britt Hotailing, and I'll see you next time.